Welcome to another episode of Ready Teacher One. I'm Adam Mangana. And I'm Ryan McLaughlin. And our guest today is Kwaku Awning, and it is a pleasure to have him on. Kwaku is the director of the Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurial Thinking at the San Diego Jewish Academy. He's also a design school fellow at Stanford. And Kwaku, it's an honor to have you on. Thanks for having me, guys. It's design school fellow? Uh, yeah, it was a micro-residency around uh, finding ways to um, uh, empower schools to incorporate emerging tech. Super impressive, it's my tremendous. friend. Kwaku, Lots you... of vowels. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Kwaku, can, Kwaku, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about what drives you in EdTech and why you chose this career path? That's a really good question. So actually, originally, I started off as a music teacher. I taught okay. K through five music for 10 years. And then in the schools that I was working in, I would have these large gaps of time. And originally, you know, like play guitar or do my taxes or read the paper. And then one day someone's like, hey, I can't connect to the Wi-Fi. Can you help me with this? I'm like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Uh, and then someone's like, oh, I, you know, I, I'm going to use this program in my class. When I have time to use it, can you look at it for me? And I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I've got an hour until I teach her. And then I did that a couple more times. I'm like, wait, maybe this is a job. And so I did some research, and then there were two grad school programs. At this, at this time, I was living in I was living in New York, okay. and there were two grad school programs that focused on this. And so I got into I applied to both schools, got into one, and I ended up going to NYU. Um, but to answer that's the brief history. But to answer your question, I guess what drives me is um, empowering students. Say more these about things, that. Well, all of these all of these things are they're just tools. Sure. You know, if you are if you move into a new house and you want to hang up some pictures, you know, you can probably do it with uh, a hammer and some nails or you can do it with a drill. If you have a really nice drill, if you have a nice level, the 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 uh, the better your tools, the more access you have to create. And so, so to me, ed tech, that's that's what it does. It gives our kids access to create things. It's a means to an end. The technology is really there in service to your pedagogy. Exactly. Or to the teacher's pedagogy in my current role. But yeah, to the pedagogy in general. Yeah. Love that. Speak to your current role. What's the work that you are doing now and how has it evolved since you've begun in, in San Diego? Good question. So I'm the director for the Center of Innovation and Entrepreneurial Thinking. It's a really lofty title. So obviously when I first started the job, I had so much uh, uh, sort of uh, fear around it or imposter syndrome. And um, for the, the, I'm going into my third year. For all three years, it's basically been the same. It's been these three buckets. One is sort of working with teachers and helping them to find meaningful ways to use technology or not use technology or design learning experiences that empowers kids. Two, uh, I, the other part of my job is that I, I manage our IT team. And then the third part, which is the part that is my favorite part, is where I get to go and do research and find things in the world, whether it's technology or, or non-tech based, but, but experiential, and bring it back to the school and empower our teachers to use it with our kids so our kids can use it. That's and, wonderful. Oh, thank you. And the, the, way, the only way I think this role has changed as a result of COVID is that um, within those three buckets, I think the IT piece was was probably the thing that had the smallest 
requirement for me as far as time and energy and focus. And that has increased now as more things have become uh, digitized on campus and having online learning happen, you know, through the school, that sort of thing. Fantastic. Kwaku, part of my role is to, to interject a little controversy into the, <laughs> into the uh, podcast. And I'm curious. Oh, here we go. What, uh, what has jumped the shark? What, what will not... What will schools no longer do now that we've been in this current year, in this current COVID context? What do you think is no longer going to happen at schools? Oh, that's kind of controversial. Now I'm baiting you. you gotta now warm I'm baiting up. you. That's right. Um, what, this is going to be an easy thing. What, is, what has jumped the shark is the idea that uh, learning has to happen face-to-face. Okay. You know, I, there was a time where, uh, pre COVID we'd have, you know, leadership meetings. And then if someone couldn't be there, they just couldn't be there. So they they wouldn't be part of the meeting. Occasionally if they're out for a longer period of time, maybe they'd Skype in or they'd zoom in or something like that. Um, or even the idea of saying to like, I would occasionally have meetings with kids over zoom because maybe I was traveling to a conference and there are kids I work with who do independent study projects. I'm like, all right, well, let's just meet and I'll send you a link and we'll just do this. And now I feel the idea of, of, of compartmentalizing what the learning experience is to being, I have to be face-to-face in that class with that teacher. That part is gone. That's jumped the shark. Out of necessity, and now people know it's, 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 uh, it's firmly becoming a part of our reality. Do you think, and now Adam and I have had conversations with folks that believe that in-person is completely going away, right? Like give us five more years, 10 more years, however long it takes, and we'll be completely in Ready Player One. All school will be virtual. Do you see that on the horizon, or do you think that we will continue to see sort of this blended, some folks are there, some folks are on, hopefully not Zoom much longer, but some superior technology, but is the hybrid model where we're going, or are we going all the way virtual? I don't, I don't think we'll, I don't think we'll go all the way virtual. I feel that's almost like, like a flying car version of the future. And the way that we, you know, I don't know what year we thought it was, the year 2000, where we keep pushing it forward. We thought we're going to be living in a world with flying cars. Sure, the Jetsons, Rosie the, the robots Jetsons. taking care of the kids, for sure. Right. And so we have things like Alexa and we, we have like cars that can drive themselves, but they're not quite flying. I, I guess I prescribe more to this Peloton theory of education, where it's going to become a piece that is tied more to access and okay. um, and so I'll give you my example. So, I, don't, I mean, I'm using Peloton. I like Peloton, but I'm not slagging Peloton in any sort of way. So sure, you have, sure. if you've ever taken a Peloton class or anything like that, you see the instructor, and then there are a few choice people who will happen to be in the room. Then you have people who maybe aren't choice enough to be in that room, but can afford to have their own Peloton in their house. Now there's more of them because it's harder for people to go to gyms. And then you had people who could pay to go to a gym that had Pelotons available or stay in a hotel that had that available. And then you had people who had no idea what a Peloton was. Sure, sure. Education is going to be the same way, I think, or it's moving in that direction where you're going to have the person who can be in the class with that amazing teacher. That teacher is fantastic, recognized. They're the ones who speak at conferences. You're at, you're in their presence. You're like this person's great. How could I work with this person? How could I teach with this person? How can I be this person? So you have the kids who get to be in that class. Then you might have kids, maybe regionally or whatever, who don't get to be in that class, 
but have enough money and enough access where they can be a part of that class, whether it's virtually, you know, because the technology is ever evolving, Moore's Law, all of that. Of course, of course. Um, so they can be there virtually. I mean, it'll be some superior technology, you know, but they have that in their home or they have that at their disposal. Maybe they're traveling with it. Who knows what's going to happen with 5G? Then you're going to have people who can afford to pay to be part of an organization that empowers them to do that. So think of like Kumon, but on the next sure. level. And then you'll have people who've never even heard of this, and they're going to college to compete with these kids who've been in classes with Cornell West. Right, right. So another conversation that Adam and I have had off and on is whether or not EdTech serves equity or detracts from equity, right? You've got folks who say, like, you're saying um, it sounds like, you know, hey, more folks are going to have access to these rock star teachers than have ever had it before. On the right. other hand, there are lots of folks that can't afford the enormous expense that, you know, say a, a brand new Oculus headset comes with or the kind of right. computer you need to really run the sort of graphics you see in some of these high-end VR experiences. Yep. It, but it sounds like maybe you're coming down on the side of, no, all things considered, EdTech is good for equity for our students? It can be. Okay. And, and this is, uh, it's interesting because uh, we don't really talk about this as educators, but education is a reflection of society. Absolutely. You know, the money that goes into it, the access that people have. What is the difference between Finland and here or France and here? And part of that is how educators are viewed, how educators are compensated, how educators are prepared, how they're taken care of, what have you. How children um, are socialized. How children are socialized. You know, I forget what it, it's some European country where they like the country sends you like a box where it has all these things. It has a blanket in it. It has like milk. I forget where this is. Oh, maybe I, that's Finland. Have you I, heard about this? I have yes. heard about this. I want to say Denmark, but maybe we're going to Google this we'll before Google the podcast thing. is over for sure. Yeah. But, and then the, the box, even the box that everything comes in, people actually put their babies in the box and at points they have them outside. Anyway, that's a side note. Um, but if you look at a country like China and someone like Kai Fu Lee, are you guys familiar with him? I can't say that I am. No. Kai Fu, Kai Fu Lee is like the, uh, he's kind of like the godfather of AI in China. So he, he was here for a long time here in the US. Um, and he worked for Apple, Google, and I believe Facebook, then went back to China and I think started uh, like a, a VC where he invests in most of the AI um, innovation that's happening there. And one of the projects that he's, that he's worked on involves taking amazing teachers and beaming them into schools and small villages that don't have access to really great teachers. And in fact, the parents aren't even there because a lot of these villages are the villages where all the parents go to work at the big companies that put together things like iPhones and iPads. So that is someone who is in a communist scenario but has a capitalistic view on things but is still using his power and his influence to empower um, large swaths of people within his country, regardless of their role within the country. Is that something that would happen here in the U.S.? It happens in, I think, in, in small amounts. Sure. But there's always a trade-off, and that trade-off is usually information. So okay. nothing's free. You get Google for free, but you don't really get it for free. Right. You're the product. Be That's it. You're the product, and you're giving information. Or in the worst-case scenario, we are leveraging um, future Google users' informations, meaning as we give it to students, in order to get this thing for free to increase our productivity. 
And I'm sure there's a level of that that might be tied to what Kai Fu Lee is doing. I don't know for a fact. But um, to answer your question, it depends on the society, on society and how we view this and how industry views these things. There you go. And just to interject, we did a fact check. And it is, in fact, Finland that does the baby boxes it's where the Finland. babies sleep in the cardboard. So, well you done. Guys are good. Really, we're on the Google right we, now. That's it. Giving up our data that's right it. now. That's it. I, I, I leveraged my data for a little bit that's of podcast. Right. That's right. Answers. Doctor, we met in the context of uh, you know of, of talking about virtual reality and education. Yep. What are some yep. of the things that since we've last talked, you know, uh, a while ago, and and since we met three years ago. What are some of the things? Was it three? Was it three years ago? We met three years ago, my friend. What do you think? What do you what you know? What is now different uh, about the VR game in education? Uh, Everything. (laughs) I agree. Nice. Let's let's dive into it. We uh, we weren't really multiplayering that thing when I met you, and uh, we were just yeah. So, but now the game is is very much connection uh, in in the metaverse. Yeah. Talk talk to me about what you are learning and discovering in this space and, and where you think it might be going. So it's, it's, it's funny because I did a demo yesterday for a product. I'll give the guy a plug. The guy, the guy was really nice. This product called VR quest. I don't know if, I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> I've heard of the quest. <laughs> okay. Well, that might be a different podcast. That's right, that's right. Oh, there you go. Right. There you go. <laughs> so VR quest is VR quest is this really interesting product because it is something that lends itself to schools where people or people's teachers and students can build out VR environments very quickly, almost as if you're building on a PowerPoint. And it's multiplayer and you don't have to be in the same location to be able to use it. So the connectivity piece is there. And it's an I application? Think, and it's an application. Okay. Yeah. That, so there, there's a lot of other things going on with it that, I mean, I I'll let people Google it. I won't, sure. I won't go too far sure, into sure. it. Um, but that, that org- and there's another organization that I've, that I've worked with a lot. Um, and in fact, I've done, I've done like, I've done two or three projects with them and I'm working on another one with them for this summer. And this organization, I'll call you later. Sorry. I'm still at work. That's all good. <laughs> well, um, you're you're talking to a couple of educators. We get it. Right. This is part of the nature <laughs> yeah. of, of the uh, under 10 episodes of That's it. Teacher one. Exactly. That's it. That's Be it. Ready, exactly. Teacher one. That's it. <laughs> um, so this other product is Zoe, um, Z-O-E. And it's great because it's completely constructivist. Kids can build things. They can build their own assets and bring it into it. Um, they can add audio. They can do storytelling in ways I actually prefer a little more to VR Quest because it's a little more open. And I, as an educator, I prefer that that freedom for myself as an education, as an educator and also for students. Absolutely. And so the trend that I'm seeing is twofold. One, creation in VR, not just the experience of viewing something. It's like, well, I saw this thing and it was in, it was in you know, three, three doff or six doff or I, you know, I, I was able to go see the Mona Lisa, but I was still here. Like we've progressed past that too. Um, what can I assets. build? Yeah, absolutely. What can I build? How can I interact with it? Um, so there's that. And then there is this progression of, I almost call it like the, uh, uh, the webpage progression. So, you know, back in the day in the nineties, when you were, if you built a website, you had to go find some person who sure. knew how to build a website. Sure. And they were like leprechauns. And then you'd pay them like $1,500 to build a website. Right. Or, right. Maybe even $5,000. And then you'd pay them like, $400 a month to maintain the website. 
and they were, you know, like, oh, I'm going to do this in HTML, and I'm going to take some images from here. Like, well, okay, that sounds great. I have no idea what you're doing. Now you can literally, you can, we're talking about Google, you can build a Google site, you can do something with Wix, you can do something with WordPress, which looks even better than what you would have paid $5,000 for right. in the past. That is what is happening with VR. So if you look at, uh, if you look at like the traditional methods of building VR, I know, Adam, you're really, uh, I, I, when we talked, I, I was talking more about Unity and you were more about, and I'm spacing on the name, what is the software Unreal that, Engine. there you go. And so we we're having like the Unreal Engine Unity debate, <laughs> you know. Um, and if you're thinking about that in terms of like websites, that's Dreamweaver, where it's like, I need to do all this coding in HTML and I need to know CSS and I need to understand, I need to know the, I need to know like zero, zero one is white. I don't even know if it is. I don't remember, but you'd have to know all this information just to start creating. And even when you started creating, that might not have been that good, but the bar of entry was so high. And it feels like what happened with that, with things like Wix and WordPress and even Tumblr, whatever you want to call it, it became very easy where everybody could create it. When I say everybody, not just like non-tech people, but kids as well. And, and, it, and, it, and it really empowered them to um, uh, really uh, embrace the idea of being media creators um, and have that be part of their lexicon and how they express themselves. The same thing. That is the biggest trend for me in VR where each product or each demo I sit in, I'm like, oh, it's so much easier to create. I absolutely love something that you said at the beginning of that answer, which is you talked about how VR is enabling now a more constructivist pedagogy, right? Yeah. Um, and one yeah. of the things, uh, so I'm a math teacher by background, and one of the things I've often said is that ed tech for the first time really in the last few years is making it easy for math teachers to be more constructivists. I yeah. think math teachers have often, uh, you know, kind of looked around and gone like, okay, that's great for you history folks, or that's great for you English yeah. folks, or who, or whomever, and science obviously is super easy to do constructivism in, but how do we do it in math class? And it's like, yeah. well, now we've got some really cool tools, to your first point, we've got some really cool tools that enable this pedagogy that we've known for 100 years now is really what students need. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the thing, the demo that the guy showed me yesterday um, he had, uh, he, it was something that he built out where Pythagoras is talking to you about his theory. And so he's on this boat that is 40 feet, like the water is 40 feet deep. And then there's a line, the fish is at the bottom, the boat's at the top. How long does the line have to be to get to the fish? Sure. And then there's a point where you have to go and answer that question. Tremendous. You know, so even that, even though it's, I'm sure as a math teacher, you're like, yes, but I want them to be able to either verbalize it or write <laughs> down, you know, so I can see their work. But if I think about that in terms of my own kids and what they're doing with virtual learning, specifically my oldest, how he has to do math work. And so he gets a math problem and then he has the option of using, is it Flipgrid? Is it Flipgrid? I'm thinking, I, 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 right now I'm spacing the software, but. That's okay. Oh, uh, no, Seesaw. It's Seesaw. Sure. He has the option of writing, writing it out, taking a picture of it, representing it uh, graphically through shapes in right. Seesaw, recording his voice, explaining his thinking. You know, these are things that existed pre-COVID that teachers kind of used. Sure. But not really. Now it, there's it, a to use this. Now there's, yes, and, but there's also the freedom that comes from that. Right. Where it's like, oh, wait a minute, this is better than me just giving them a worksheet. Well, and I think, you know, to use an analogy that gets used often, you've got the shallow end of the ed tech pool and you've got the deep end right. of the ed tech pool, right? And right. 
so many teachers, I think, have gotten so jaded on that shallow end where it's like, yeah, I was kind of already doing that. You're just making it look cool or you're just making exactly. it flashy or whatever. Now, though, the tools are there to get to the deep end. We're getting to the point where we can do things in the classroom that weren't possible before. Students can be engaged in new ways. Students can yep. have experiences that simply you couldn't do in 2000 or 2010 even. Yep. Karku, does yep. this, all in all, does this make education cheaper? Does it make it more expensive? Where do you think this ends up? Um, playing out for those who are saying to themselves, man, Harvard is $70,000 and I'm at home trying to do this thing? I mean, ultimately, do you see what the emerging um, opportunities and capabilities in virtual reality having an impact on the bottom line of schools? Yeah, I think so. I think definitely on the college level and on the independent school level or the K-12 space. So let's start with the college level. Um, I think colleges have been really fortunate to be able to depend on the idea of sharing air with someone of, of great experience and knowledge and, uh, and, and, you know, someone who's well-decorated um, as far as education as a, as a format for teaching. And I've heard from several people. It's like my kid goes to Columbia and he had an entire class with this guy. And he basically saw the dude's chest the entire time because the guy didn't understand how right, to adjust right. his, his laptop. And so there, there's so much, there's so much there. I think that you have things like LinkedIn learning, you know, Khan Academy to a certain extent, sure. um, but any sort of online learning space or Coursera, which a lot of those big name colleges are getting involved with. They've right. done test courses that will uh, challenge that, where people will be able or won't be able to, or be able to justify what they can do that way. Um, I think that um, I think that you also have this idea of uh, the. Have you guys heard about the like the Google courses that are now now being offered? Absolutely. Not yep. picking on Google either. Sure, Google sure. Google don't come after me. But, <laughs> um, Data beware. Yeah, but the idea, like that course that they're offering, and they are literally couching it as an alternative to college. Right. And that leads into another conversation that Adam and I have been having constantly for the last couple of years, which is, do you think uh, are micro-credentials about to do away with the college degree, or at least largely do away with the college degree? Are they no. going to displace that? Okay. Credential, and this is my opinion, credentials prove that you know how to do something. And a lot of employers, I, I've heard this from a lot of employers, they will hire people out of these big schools and then it's frustrating to them because they need to train them how to work. Right. And so if you're going to a job with a credential, all right, great, you already know how to do this. I just can plug you into my system, which is wonderful. But, and we're gonna focus on the E here, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're building something, if you're a head of school, if you're a CEO, it is more about that ambiguity um, then knowing, oh, I have this skill. I can put together a spreadsheet. Uh, I know how to do a presentation. I know how to lead a meeting. All of that is great. Those are all skills. Where are your ideas? Okay. College, and I feel, teaches empathy? us how to think. Mm. Yeah, I mean, where's I your think, empathy? I think, oh, yeah, we can get into I, that. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and to your point, I mean, you got me preaching to the choir here, but I think, uh, you know, the trade-off with just having a world full of certificates is you have incredible liability because, you know, someone's... Uh, uh, math skill set is incredibly over-indexed, but their empathy right. skill set is under-indexed, and now you have a 
human resources liability on your hands. Right. <laughs> yep. Right. Yep. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And the creators, because we have a creative class. And I, I can't speak for everybody, but I feel like a large part of my role is to uh, open up kids to, or open kids up to the idea that they can be part of that creative class in any capacity that makes sense to them. If they just want to build stuff and, and sell it on Etsy, they can do that. If they want to be freelancers, they can do that. If they want to carve a career out of it and create a business out of it, they can do that as well. You're teaching the creators kids have how to, to know own how to the think. means of production, huh? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Welcome to the Libertarian Party. Oh, my God, Adam. Yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> no, I'm just... But, uh, that was a personal jab at me. Don't worry and, about it. <laughs> okay. Um, no, but but the, 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 the leaders, the thought leaders, the, the creatives, the, one who, the ones who come up with literally... Everything that we're using to do this podcast, would they be able to do that with just certificates? Absolutely not. Great point. So you're arguing so, that there's got to be an increase in the hard skills, but we've got to have the liberal arts still. And there's got to be a place for the liberal arts. The, the heart, the, all of the technology makes the liberal arts pieces so much more valuable. And for that reason, there's there's going to be colleges. Yeah. There are going to be liberal arts programs because you do need to analyze a couple of texts and understand this book was written at this time in the 1600s. Sure. And so this literature was affected by this music, which was affected, by, which later on affected this architecture. And all of these things work together. So that idea of how education is a reflection of society, right. you can't you can't come to those thoughts if you haven't been able to analyze those connections in other ways. Right. I, I remember, I guess it was probably about seven to 10 years ago, folks were having these conversations like, why are kids still reading The Great Gatsby? They should be learning how to code in Python. And of course, what you're saying is that, well, no, no, no. In the age of high tech, The Great Gatsby is all the more important. Way more valuable. You guys, have you guys seen, what is it, The Social Dilemma on Netflix? You yes, guys watch that yet? Yes, I haven't, yes, but Adam yes. has. Yeah, you did, I but I think it's amazing. It's amazing, and, and I'm not ruining it for you, Ryan, but Go one of the it. biggest takeaways is just because you can, should you? Right. Or just because and, you can, how should you? And the, Which was the, the winners one... can be more human, right? They, they are the ones who have empathy and soft skills. And, and that's yes. a lesson that we were taught as children by Jurassic Park, of course. So. <laughs> <laughs> it always goes. I literally was having this conversation with someone else, Jeff Goldblum. Oh, everything and... comes back to Jeff Goldblum, for sure. <laughs> Nature finds a way. That's it. <laughs> Chaotician. Chaotician. Kwaku, let me ask you this. What... Um, if, if you were, you know, a teacher who has been, uh, you know, just very hesitant to jump into ed tech comes to you and says, look, you know, this COVID thing has is, is opened my eyes. I need to begin the process of changing my ways. I know that, that uh, you know, the, the house has been blown down and we can't build it back the exact same way it was in, in, in the last two decades. Where would you have them start to develop, um, you know, some tools to, to help kids create? Good question. I would not start there. I would literally say to them, cool. Because I have this a lot where I have a lot of teachers who are like, I was thinking I could do this really cool thing with VR. I'm like, great, let's put that aside. What is it you want them to be able to understand? And reverse engineer let's, that. Let's start with what you want them to understand. And then from there, we can figure out what would be a cool way to represent it where, they, where the kids have a voice. And once you figure out what that piece is, then well, what technology meets that? The idea of having people start with technology, I, and I, this, I use this analogy all the time, is sort of like going to Ikea with your new drill and saying, like, I need to, I really want to use this drill. Can I drill a lot of pieces together with this piece of furniture? 
You don't go to Ikea that way, thinking right. what tools you're going to use. Right. You go to Ikea thinking, this is what my house is. My house needs these things. All right, I've looked online. I want to look through the showroom, think about how I could put something similar together in my house that looks like this or establishes this feel, creates this experience. And then you bring it home, and then the Allen wrenches, and maybe you might end up using a drill to tighten things up at the end. We start with the tools. We're going to fail. Once again, technology and service to pedagogy, not the other way around. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're time. We're time for the Furious Five. So, Kwaku, we like to end with a segment we like to call the Furious Five. It's just five uh -oh. short answer questions, you know, one sentence, two sentences max, that don't necessarily have anything to do with anything that we've talked about. And it's just, <laughs> it just kind of get to know you sort of questions just for fun. Okay. How does that sound? Okay. okay. It sounds like I'm going to struggle because I'm way too talkative, so I'm going to do my best to That's keep okay. it to one or two sentences. That's okay. That's okay. We'll, we'll make rude noises if you go too long. Uh, first question. <laughs> first question. What's the best movie or TV show that you've watched recently? Ooh, that's a really good one. Oh, there's so much. Uh, um, Emily in Paris. Oh my God, Adam. Oh man. Um, uh, Lovecraft County. Okay, I've heard a lot about this. Good stuff. There, there are so many moments of beauty in that show. Wow. Just. Okay. And Love it's this Craft really, County. is that what it is? Is it, it hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to look it up right now to make sure I'm getting the name right, is it but I'm pretty Country? sure it's, it's on HBO. Maybe is it country? I thought it was County. We're going to do another um, Google fact check here. The furious but, five is becoming less furious. Oh my God. Isn't it? Is it? No, I, it see, is country. I told you it's country. <laughs> yeah. Lovecraft. I thought it was County. Lovecraft country. 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 Love it is that. this amazing, uh, blend of, uh, humanities and science and history like it's it's beautiful and afrofuturism oh awesome take with that what you want awesome awesome i, I, awesome. I have some good vr experiences about afrofuturism i'm sure you do that we need to talk about seriously <laughs> second question for the furious five what's the best meal you've eaten recently <sighs> it's tough because we can't really eat out anymore and so i'm thinking about a dish that my wife made that I really, really, really loved. Um, uh, oh man, I'm spacing. She's gonna She'll be so have mad to at me. Listen to the podcast to the end. She's to she's out. gonna be she's <laughs> gonna make fun of me. She's gonna make fun of me. That's okay. Um, I'm trying to think, and I'm totally he, drawing a blank. He, he loved it so much, honey. He doesn't remember what it was because <laughs> it, it was gone too quick. It's like it's there like family feud. Pass. I gotta there get you. <laughs> Can you make what you made that other night? Nice. Yeah, no, that's literally. She's like, what do you want to eat this week? I'm like, the delicious thing. That you <laughs> if you were stuck on a desert island with yeah. one book, what yeah. is it and why? Confederacy of Dunces. Okay. Nice. Um, have you read that book? Do you, yeah, you know what yeah, happened? Yeah, I know the book. Because it's so ridiculous, um, and it is so slow and plotting, and then it speeds up and becomes so meaningful going towards the end it is so powerful and it's one of those books that you can i think you could enjoy from a story perspective but also from a form perspective okay excellent as far as characters all of that question four who's a thought leader that our listeners should go follow on social media immediately Oof. laura McBain. Laura McBain. Laura okay. McBain. Laura McBain from uh, she's the um, she's 
she's one of the heads of the K-12 lab at the D school. Nice. Um, she, she doesn't tweet as much lately, but every, anything that she's tweeting or retweeting, is I learn something each time. Awesome. Excellent recommendation. Can I, can I get, can I give someone else also? Absolutely. Please. Absolutely. Lisa Solomon, who's also at the D school, who did this whole vote by design curriculum piece that uh, empowers educators and students and people in general to figure out what they're looking for in a politician by tying it to qualities. So whether it's empathy, whether it's intelligence, whether it is, um, whether it's someone who's good with the economy, whatever. So separating ourselves from our ancestral process of voting mm. and, and connecting us to our needs and the things, our expectations from people who are in leadership roles. She's another amazing follow. That's super intriguing. We need you to put us on so they can come on the podcast. For sure. I'll try. They're, they're busy ladies, but I will try. I believe it. Awesome. I believe it. So finally, we'll get back to uh, the controversy a little bit here. Um, what for is number five. For number five, you know it. <laughs> what is something that you know to be true about EdTech? that most of your colleagues disagree with you on? By colleagues, you mean people I work with or people who do similar jobs? Your peers in similar jobs. Ooh, got clocked Stumped there. Him. Stumped him. On the contrarian no. question. Am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Uh, I don't by know. all yes, means, I, yeah. Yes. We'll beep it out. We don't give it Technology Technology's bull****. There you go. Do you believe that or others believe that? I, 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 I believe that. Wow. It changes so quickly. Finally. I think we got an episode title here, we folks. Technology that. is bull****. It changes so quickly that if you tie yourself to it, you will make yourself obsolete. And I have lots of colleagues who will tie themselves to and, and not just one piece, but, but like one thing. And it isn't about that. It's always going to be about the process. I love that. Wow. But see, I would agree with you on this. You would. Well, and so the reason the reason I bring this up is the job that I have, you know, and everybody has this where it's like, I didn't think I was going to get this job. Sure. And I've met several other people who applied for the job, which is always awkward. And, when, you know, it, like in hindsight, I was talking to someone who sat on the hiring committee and, and they said to me, you're the only person who applied for this job that did not bring a piece of technology to demonstrate. And that's why that's why I feel like other people wouldn't say this. And I've sat in other jobs where they're just like, what is the latest technology that we need to focus on? And I'm like, you don't. Because it's yes. going to change. There's yeah. always going to be What's a the latest be wrench we need to buy. What's the latest pencil I need right. to write with? Yeah. Right. What's the latest update to that app? Yeah. What is the final update to that yeah. app? Tremendous. I mean, to me, my interest in VR isn't because it's uh, fancy. It's because it's the first thing that I found that ultimately gave people time back. I don't have to go to, you know, Finland to see the Northern Lights, all right? right. I'm getting my right. time back. What's our most valuable asset? Our time. So if technology can give us time, that's great. If we're spending green pieces of paper and we're spending a lot of time, then we're right. losing. So I love what you've said, Kwaku. I agree with it 100%. Kwaku, we Ooh. can't thank you enough. Oh, go ahead. We're out of, we're out of time. We're out of time. No, it's no, go ahead. about other stuff. The book Range. I think it's David Epstein. Okay. Um, it's not an, first of all, educators should not be reading education books. Amen. That is, that nice. is basically the written version of, I don't of know Facebook. What an education book is. But you know what I mean? We it's just sort read of, a few to like, get our master's degrees, if you remember. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're, you're reading some, but you need to be reading the books that aren't directly connected to education. Mm -hmm. So this book range, I think every educator should read it. It is a desert island book because that book is, it talks about the power 
of being a generalist and how that truly empowers innovation, but also learning and success. And, and it does it in all these really amazing ways yeah. from music to the military. That is a book that people need to read. And Especially the other one the I would... Error of specialists, right? So it, we And we're coming out of that right. because specialty, specialists, and I'm going to wrap it up, ties into the idea of things that fall, that can fall under algorithms. So those things can be replaced by machines. Amen. That's Any right. repeatable That's task. That's right. Last thing, I know you got to go because you got to get your kids. Tell, yep. Give us some good stuff on blockchain. We've heard a lot of people interested in blockchain. What's your take on blockchain's impact on schools? On schools? Mm -hmm. it, I think it can revolutionize schools from the process of assessing learning to the process of, um, of, of connecting kids to the next level of educational opportunities that they should have. What we were talking about earlier about certificates, it's interesting, or it's, it's interesting to have one certificate. It's like cooking with one spice. But the idea of being able to use blockchain and tying this back to the, the book range as well, to even take a series of experiences to create a recipe for success. And not for everyone having success, but for a, a specific person being successful. And tying that to being able to collate the experiences tied with the skills to say, hey, this is the person that would really do a great job in this position. Blockchain is a, it's a game changer. Tremendous. I think the title of this episode is Engineering Experiences That Matter with Kwaku Ani. We've got a few options here on the table. I like it. Kwaku, That's... thank you so much. It's been an honor and a privilege to talk to you. We've both learned a ton from you, and we just can't thank you enough for your time. Thank you guys for letting me blather on and, and, and give seven answers to the Furious Five. Dude, no, not they're, at all. They're lucky to have <laughs> For you, you, we've got a Furious Seven, Kwaku. You, this is a guy to follow. <laughs> Listeners, you got to follow this That's guy. It. He's amazing. Uh, we're lucky to have you in this industry, my friend. Kwaku, where can people Thank find you, you other than uh, LinkedIn? On LinkedIn, on, on, on the Twitters, at Kwaku1. There's another guy who got there first. Nice. Um, but that's mostly it. Yeah, follow me on Kwaku. Everything I post there, and I, and I respond to all DMs, and, and I love to see what other people are doing. Fantastic. If we can ever do anything for you, Kwaku, let us know. Much Come to San Diego. Have some fish tacos. Let's, let's do that. Let's Deal. start there. Deal. We'll be there. <laughs> Just as soon as this hurricane gets past us. <laughs> well, I would, I would also say, you know, there's some other things happening in the world that I'd want to clear up before you travel here. Touche, so, touche. We're recording. Uh, what are we? Five days before the election here? Face. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's a couple things. Yeah. Face yeah. and fish tacos. Like you know what I mean? Face, face coverings and fish tacos. There's too many to choose from. There's too many to choose from. I now. like engineering experiences. That I'm back on technology as. <laughs> Anyways, Kwaku, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Have a great evening, my friend. You too. You too. <laughs>